This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. And action! Hello and welcome to episode 228 of, of the, the Filmmakers, Filmmakers Podcast. Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie films to studio films and everything in between how to get them made how to make them and how to try not to royally f them up in a very very humble opinion i am giles alderson and i am dom lenoir and together we are (laughs) (laughs) married (laughs) the best host on the damn planet (laughs) that's the one Uh, we we are both producer directors and writers a couple of idiots and then a couple of idiots (laughs) to go with that too um and today on the show we have the fantastic Nathaniel Martello White. Straight to go. Who is the director of <laughs> The Strays, uh, the new Netflix. Well, it was number one. Sorry, I was, I was, going, I was going straight to the point. <laughs> You've strayed off the path a bit here. Uh, oh stray my God. him here. People, people are going to be turning off in droves. I'm so sorry. Nathaniel was not only a fantastic guy, and he gave up so much of his time to talk to myself and Dom, but... He's also a well-known actor as well, uh, starring in movies like Silent Night, Dead Meat, The Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants, Red Tails, Hard Boiled Sweets, Life Just Is. He's been in the TV series Trial and Retribution, Party Animals, Mongrels, Misfits, Death in Paradise, uh, Horrible Histories, and he was in Steve McQueen's Small Axe series Mangrove. And this is his directorial debut. Hmm. He made the short film Clam, which did incredibly well. What do we talk about on the episode? With Nathaniel, Dom, or Nate, or Nat, we 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 talk about the pros and cons of collaborating with funding bodies, creating a Netflix film, rehearsing for key sequences. We also talk about um, what it's like to go from being an actor to a director, uh, screenwriting insecurities and structure, and making a psych horror. How bloody does it go? We also talk about set building for big scenes and sequences, having a controversial black female protagonist, and why you should know what movie you are making. And also why his shot lists come from his writing, his references, why he shut down set for a day to rehearse the family reunion scene, and he did it in an 18-minute one-shot take. He also tells us what he's learnt moving forward to making his next 
film. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. Nathaniel was incredible. The Strays is a brilliant film. Really thought-provoking. Really gets it underneath your skin. And uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's smashed it. He certainly did. What news, Lenoir of the Dom? Have you um, you've got some stuff to tell us about the Shakespeare sisters' latest feature film, Much Ado, which I was at the premiere for the other night, yes. along with yourself. You were on hosting yep. duties and did a very good job. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, got a good, uh, good laugh out of, um, without much further ado as well. <laughs> you got a great <laughs> laugh out of that pun. <laughs> I mean, maybe we should just t- change your name by Depole to Pun Lenoir. You could, yeah. yeah. Might be, uh, might be a sensible move. Yeah, no, it was, it was, a, it was a great event. Nice to be back at the uh, Prince Charles at Leicester Square. Lots of, uh, lots of familiar film pals there. Some traditional Shakespeare sister curation of uh, a nice, nice after party with Shakespeare branded cakes, which always goes down well. Always go down well. And it's going to be a tour, Dom. Tell us about the tour, more importantly. Where, pe- where can people see it? They, they can. Uh, so there's a couple in London coming up. There is one in Croydon on Wednesday. Uh, there's also Croydon Cinema Wednesday. Yeah, great. There's also one um, the David Dean Cinema. There's also one in um, Crouch End coming up in April, and there is one at Woodbridge, the Riverside, uh, coming up as well in March and April. Great, great. Links to that should be in the show notes, but if not, you can find it on the Shakespeare Sisters website. Yep, they won't be keeping it quiet, that's for sure. That's for sure. Definitely. Yeah, you should be following them on socials anyway. They're mm. fantastic um, people, but also great filmmakers. Uh, also, myself and Dom are doing a live event coming up. It's not a Make Your Film. We might do one of those soon. Tell us more about it, Dom. Well, I had written it down as Triple Threat, but it's actually Triple Exposure. Uh, so <laughs> you're a triple threat. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> so it's basically uh, it is a, the launch of a new company. So Gareth uh, from Performance Insurance is one of the companies, and they've banded together with a couple of other companies to give you all the different things you might need to go into production on making a film, rather than having to go to different areas. So it's. Performance Insurance is one of the companies and they've banded together with uh, the accountancy practice, Alliots, and the specialist media law firm, Reviewed and Cleared, who we used on Three Day Millionaire. And they've created this brand new product, as Dom said, Triple Exposure. And the aim is pretty simple, right? I mean, they want to free up creators to create. So by joining forces themselves, um, and that's... And all those things are essential for behind the scenes of every film or series you're making. It's insurance, it's accountancy, and it's legal scene needs. So it's a one-stop shop called Triple Exposure. Pete from Greenlit got in touch, didn't he, Dom? He certainly did, yeah. Uh, and he said, you know who we'd like for our panel mm. for an hour mm. at 3pm, just before a comfort break, which should be very comforting, uh, me and Josh. So yeah. there we are. There we are. So the date is the 22nd of March. Um, from 12 o'clock till 6pm in London. Uh, it's in Hoxton, the Aviva in Hoxton, uh, Hoxton Square. And we'll be there at three. Yeah, I might be there before, but Don might not be. So it's a networking event. Uh, there's also a Q&A <laughs> with Farah Abushwesha, um, who is a BAFTA-nominated producer. There's going to be lunch where drinks and food will be provided. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
Okay, maybe yeah. I am coming early. There's <laughs> 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 lunch. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is a different proposition. <laughs> okay. What I like best from the list as well is the reply you put to Pete from Greenlit was, oh, there's a comfort break. This is a comfort break listed yeah. <laughs> on the actual agenda. And Dom was like, oh, that sounds good. I'll be there for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's going to be fun. You'll get your priorities right. Link to that will be in the show notes. Um, Three Day Millionaire, if you've not seen it yet, it's on Netflix now. You have no excuses. Go watch it. Go support. Uh, Winter Ridge is on Amazon Prime it's on where else is it Dom people can watch your directorial feature Sky Store yep Rakuten you know other other places all that Stranger in Our Bed also is on there right now um, Mm. which I directed uh, and I'd love you to go Stranger Danger watch that as well why not that's a little plug for ourselves enough for that should we get to today's episode probably a good idea yeah let's do it alright this is Nathaniel Martello-White chatting with myself and me yay all right (laughs) we will see you on friday when we have saim sadiq from joyland and then on tuesday we've got eddie sternberg the director and writer of i used to be famous there we go eddie you finally got your episode (laughs) (laughs) poor poor eddie we recorded with him ages ago we just we just been smashed by pr deadlines and uh... yes and award season contenders uh including florian zeller the sun which is also coming up soon um right that's here's Nathaniel Martello White. Enjoy. No, you enjoy. I will. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Nathaniel, how are you feeling, man? You you all right? This is an exciting time for you. So it's 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 a mad moment, to be honest. It's like um, yeah. you know how it is that the journey you go on, um, especially when you're a writer director. You know, I think you sort of have a really prolonged period of time in your head with the movie, developing it in this sort of really private space. And, and, you know, and then going into production is a whole other thing where you're like, okay, how do we carry this across the line and achieve that whilst also accepting that it's going to change and become something else. Mm-hmm. But hopefully the essence of what it always was meant to be is still there. And, and then there's a whole other alchemy, right? When you then release it and it becomes something something else again it becomes other people's then it's weird they they put their own life on it and put it on their own websites and talk about it in their own way and it's it's a really odd feeling that you've harbored this baby for so long and then someone just goes i know what it's about it's about this and full essay on it everyone's going yes it is (laughs) oh my god yeah completely i mean it's interesting also like i I knew it was a a divisive film Mm. but then i think i the i think what's been really a real education making this movie is that like, you know, it's like got a divisive, controversial protagonist, you know, who's a woman and a woman of color. And then it's like structurally mercurial in a way, you know, that's sort of got slightly different styles of storytelling. So I didn't actually, all of those things were really exciting, but then suddenly you realize, oh, wow, I'm going out with a movie <laughs> like that. And that's going to be divisive. And that's not, I'm not going out with a popcorn movie that everybody's going to necessarily like. And I think you, you kind of have to own that. Yeah, you know, because the artist in you wants to be loved by everybody. Please love me, but you know, really and truly, you have to hold that space. I think. Do you, do you find that the the sort of the general review community have interpreted the way the film the way that you kind of thought they might, or you know, is that is that a thing you kind of experience with films, or or do you just sort of put it out there and think, okay, well, I've left enough ambiguity that people can make their own minds up on on certain things. I, I think with a movie like this, people, especially from the ending, I think. Some people want more and some people, like I was at a BFI screening on Monday and it's like, you know, NFT one packed out, 
And it was just a raucous crowd. And, and, and it's sort of the way it ends and it does end abruptly sort of yeah. less people gasping and stuff. And I, yeah. I was like, Oh <laughs> yeah. man, I really feel like that's how the movie should be played, you know, in a, in a mm. big old space. But, and I hope people still get that experience at home. But I think the things that I considered were like, Oh, it has to be deeply personal and a genre piece. But then I think when I, when I've gotten deeper into the process, then I think there are other things you rip. There are other things actually at play that you don't consider like, you know, like, like sort of, yeah, just like having a really divisive um, protagonist and what that brings out in some people. But I think it's, it's generating a really brilliant conversation. I didn't anticipate as many Jordan Peele Mm. references because in fact, my references were always Michael Haneke. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah. totally different filmmakers as well. Mm. And that's fascinating that people have gone down that road because it is very, uh, maybe it's easier to put in that box. You know, Jordan Peele's very well known. It's okay, that's the type of film. Great. We can tick that box and go, it's in that realm. Rather than you say it's a Michael Haneke film, everyone goes, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> right? yeah. Your, yeah. your general yeah, yeah, audience yeah. don't know who he is. So, yeah. but for you, yeah. that's really interesting, isn't it? That you went down that route because Michael Haneke is mm. incredible. I love his filmmaking. Mm. I love oh, what he does with incredible. the camera and the people he works with. And I can see that now. Yeah. Now Deeply you've said original, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. And I think your film's deeply original too, mm. you know? And sometimes oh, it's, it's easy to throw it off as, oh, it's like that. But th- I get why. And it's great because you get more eyeballs on it for you. Um, let's talk about films you've seen recently or films that inspired mm. you. Okay, how, so when you say recently, what kind of window are we, are we talking about now? I mean, look, we could go anything from three years old to now. <laughs> In- inspirational sort yeah. of like, okay, what's... All right, let's start with when you were younger then. What, what made you want to oh, be great. an actor? That's- is that easier? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah okay, good. Yeah, maybe that's easier. <laughs> yeah. Because you know how it is like, you see so many, I see movies all the time that it gets to a point where you can only really remember the movies you saw recently because you've been seeing them like every other week, you know? Yes, yeah. um, I think when I was younger, it was always like, you know, I, Arnold Schwarzenegger was like this movie. Yeah, you know, it was like yeah, Total yeah, Recall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, wait Terminator look, 1. In front, like, he's here. He's Come here. On. He Come the on. book, Total Recall, right in front of me. <laughs> I, I had the like, last action hero models growing up. Oh, you were the, yeah, the <laughs> lunchboxes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that film didn't really do as well, but actually it's a brilliant yeah. film kids loved it it's just it didn't blow up as much but sorry brilliant but those (laughs) movies that felt like event no they felt really like strap in like here we go this Mm. is gonna get very real you know and i think arnie kind of was like this when you think about it now and then some people might say the rock you know is a version of that but but i think i don't know like movies back then i think they were like they could be about something really raw but they were also these big blockbusters now i think there's been more of a separation but then uh, you know, alongside that, movies like The Godfather w- was always a big mo- um, formative movie. And the first time my auntie, who was a big cinephile, showed me Goodfellas, I think I was about 15. And I, and I yeah. just remember the, that opening scene when the boot opens up and it's lit red <laughs> and they just stabbed that dude and just being like, what am I watching? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then yeah. just being blown away by the end. And then I remember watching Scream with my mum when I was like, Maybe I was about 17 uh, and we were blown away uh, by that. So, so yeah, so, so I think horror has always been there, but also like, I think when I got to drama school, then you started to get into more of the art house cinema. Yes. You know, someone goes, do you know Michael Haneke? And then you sort of, oh, wow, who's this guy? And you do a deep dive 
and then you realize, oh, this this filmmaker really speaks to me, you know. Mm. Was that a natural progression to go from liking watching these movies to going to drama school? Like, how, how did that link? You know, did, were your parents kind of involved? Was it just something you always knew? Let's let's explore the arts. Like, how did that kind of evolve for you? I think my family really, um, you know, we were always just obsessed with movies, and and the theater was there, but it was never really a focus. Like, we didn't go to the theater. Like, we went with school, but I'd never go with the family, and then. When the idea to become an actor started coming into focus, I think at that point I was really obsessed with De Niro, early De Niro, and um, Vincent Cassel. Okay, I was just obsessed yeah. with, and so Laem and Taxi yeah. Driver yeah. were like quite cultish movies for actors coming up, and so you wanted to be not a method, but you wanted to go to those extremes. Yeah, as as a performer, you know, a these young as well. <laughs> Deer Hunter, yeah, I mean. The, the the Russian relay scene, you know, just yes, yeah, yeah, that's one of the like, best. What? It really is. <laughs> but they're not even really realizing that Scorsese. Nobody's interested in Scorsese at that point because everybody's just thinking about the performances. Yeah, during that time, obviously, then you went to drama school and you've become a very successful actor. At any point during that time, were you thinking? Oh, I fancy directing because obviously you've done lots of theatre as well and maybe you've directed a bit of theatre and you had directed the, you know, Clam in 2017. But before that, you know, it'd be really interesting to know, did you have any like burning desire underneath to go, yeah, I, I could probably direct something. No, do you know what it was? I didn't even really think, I never saw myself as a director is, is the real answer to that question okay. throughout drama school. But what I definitely saw myself as was I knew I was a writer and I knew and I was constantly like at RAD, I used to write in the off season. So whenever we weren't training, I was, mm. I was always writing and I, I was developing a few films, but they were really ambitious. And it, when I think about it now, completely naive, what I was trying to like write some big sci-fi movie at 21, you know, yeah, but then yeah, I think yeah. when I, when I realized, I think that being an actor was just such a really difficult way to live and that you're waiting for the phone to ring and waiting for someone to give you an opportunity. I think I then I sort of started taking writing more seriously. And, and then when I got my first play programmed at The Young Vic, I, I decided not to be in it. And I was just a playwright in the room. Mm. And I was like, it's way more interesting yes. being over here. You know, and I think that naturally led to directing. I think I think it's an interesting an interesting point about the sort of the ambitious script projects uh, as well because I mean I, I've written some things that are 10 you know 20 million and, and they're completely unrealistic to do immediately but the what you gain from writing those big ideas I think is really valuable because uh, it kind of gets you you thinking in certain things and and I I, I wonder you know what you've learned from the kind of the script writing process um, and and what it's kind of taken forward into some of those more like uh, recent projects that you've kind of got to. I think the crazy thing about I mean I totally agree with what you're saying is that even just thinking about what sort of budget this movie is going to be if I mm. take a swing at it would never even cross my mind. And then I think I, I think with with screenplays. I'm a self-taught writer, so I never went to film school where somebody broke it all down. So I was always coming from instinct. And then I had a real issue with finishing things in my twenties. <laughs> like I get to the middle and then have another idea yeah. Yeah. and start and again. Start that. It's it's always it's that you get to that point of oh, this is hard work now. Oh my god, yeah. I've really got <laughs> yeah. to pull this apart and dive in to make this anything. Yeah. Do you know what? Sod it. I've got a better yeah. idea. And then you do the same totally. again because you, you, totally. that screenwriting or writing, you've got to know the details that you know. And that that's discipline and hard work, and it mm. doesn't come easy to everyone. It doesn't. And I remember I co-wrote with a friend of mine. And he was just really rigorous on structure. 
and getting to the end. And I sort of realized, oh yeah, we've gotten to the end. It exists. Yes. Now we get to go back and, and sort of play around with it. But then I was likewise quite frustrated working with him because I felt like I wanted to do all the weird dark art house stuff. And he was kind of more into sort of commercialism. Mm. And, and then, and then I think when I started writing plays, there's a real rigor to writing plays and it's really difficult and it's all dialogue driven. So I knew I had good dialogue. I was like, well, I've got an ear for dialogue. And I think that comes from performance. And, and then I think I was just ready to write the strays. When, when, when the time came, I was, I was, I took the big breath. You know, as you do. Yeah. Oh gosh, then, here we go. Dive yeah, in. totally. Yeah. yeah. And now I really, and now I've sort of weirdly gone back to the YouTube videos of like Paul Schrader and Tarantino and other people talking about their process of writing and being like, maybe I should try and steal some. Well, I you find know. that that really interesting because same as you, you know, I put on plays at the Royal Court. I wrote stuff back when I was acting and I was always trying to get things finished exactly the same with screenplays. And you get to a point 70 pages in and I go, oh my God, I'm not even at the uh, second, uh, you know, act mark and I'm 70 <laughs> pages in. What the hell am I doing here? And totally. that, that discipline, that sort of education and about going back. Now, I remember reading all the books and watching as many YouTube videos or anything like that I could get my hands on podcasts weren't around then as such to try and understand screenwriting or the process but I hadn't done it so I didn't understand it and now going back to these old books that I read I totally get it more I'm like ah that makes sense now ah that's what that means and it, you know what? it's just experiencing getting it it's written so true. learn so from true. actual write write as much as you can and don't worry it's this is going to be a piece of crap but get to the end make it better put it on your shelf now write the next one now write the next one right Totally. And also, even to that point, it feels like, you know, if you're going to be a writer director, you've got to write, you've got to write film, like, you've got to have your films yeah. ready. Yeah. And, and I think that is another thing I was thinking that like, wow, I've, even I've got, I write a lot, but sometimes I'm splitting my disciplines between sort of developing a TV pilot and a few film ideas. Sometimes I feel like, man, I wish I could just go more hardline and write screenplays and nothing mm -hmm. else. Yeah, I don't know if you guys feel that way at all. Yeah, I mean, I think also I was I was going to ask whether whether you find it difficult in terms of being guided towards film or TV in the writing process, because I mean, I think definitely in the last couple of years there was this kind of craze that was let's make it into TV and like everything was like let's yes. take every feature film and put it into TV and certainly like TV is becoming the big the big medium. Um, but then at the same time, like sometimes some things are just made for film and, you know, we grew up making films. Um, yeah. I mean, do, do you find it difficult sort of making that distinction between what you'd like to do or is it quite intuitive? I think I'm, I'm really only interested in the limited TV space because I think maybe you, there's a bit more light, like Chernobyl, I thought was incredible, yeah, incredible, yeah. you know, and, and the first season of, um, big little lies, I thought was incredible and yes. stuff like that, where you really get to create a world. But I, the, the TV I struggle with, and I struggle with it as an actor sometimes as well, is where you just feel like there really is no end point to this story. Mm. And we're really just going to keep going. And, and, you know, and if we can make more money and just squeeze more out of it, we're just going to keep going. Whereas I think like working on a film, everybody knows that there's a beginning, middle and end, and that's where we're heading. And, and I think films are immortalized in, in a much greater way than than TV shows are partly because of the commitment, right. To watching 10, 20 hours of, of content. Mm -hmm. But, um, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of producers would lean back and be like, Oh, maybe that could be a, a series. And how would we like, you know, return it for two, three seasons. And I've started to really push, push back on that now, to be honest and be like, no, this is, it's a movie. I'm really passionate about cinema. Let's, 
let's try and make this a movie. Yeah, let's keep indie film alive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, interestingly, your point there. You know, do do we struggle with that? And absolutely, definitely, what Dom says. Five years ago, ten years ago, everyone was saying, "Oh, yeah, why not turn it into a TV?" And then you'd spend mm. six months, if not longer, turning it into a TV mm. series. And by the time you got it to them, went, "Yeah, we're not looking for that anymore." And now it's not mm. going to yeah. work out. You're like, "Why?" So I'm the same as you. Know, I've stopped. I just I'm just writing film. I'm like, look, if some mm. TV idea Maybe. comes, or maybe this happens. Sure. But I've mm. just said, no, I'm sticking to this because you just get pulled. You get pulled totally. in all these directions and it might work for some people, but it doesn't work for me. And also some people are really good at writing TV. And, and, and I think I haven't quite unlocked, like I know, like I know my film where I can be like, you know, this is like those 80s thrillers or whatever. You know, I can go in and pitch something where I'm like, you know, whatever, this is about Jamaican folklore or whatever it's yeah, about. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. Can you imagine? We all need to do a Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> put that out there now. I'll put that out there now. It's going to happen. Um, and, and then, but yeah, but I think, um, but no, but just knowing your, I think maybe I just know movies and understand them in, in a deeper way. And I think it's also just, I, I think we're in a time now where genre is a hot, sort of clever genre movies or, or genre movies that are about something feel like quite they're quite the fad at the moment and that's my bag so i'm like okay great also you know? kind of a, as a as a as a writer director it's it's about sort of keeping that vision that we've that we've already talked about it, i suppose in a way although it's maybe harder to get a film made you can put together your team you can sort of you know put the puzzle together very much yourself um from the ground up now what's your what's your process in terms of getting the the producer attached the the finance and and you know some of the struggles in in getting like these movies made yeah i mean and this isn't me throwing anybody under the bus but i was i was developing the strays initially with the bfi um and and film four um but mostly with the B, bfi and then we brought film four on and i I felt, and it was partly because of the pandemic, I think as well, but we sort of gotten to a point with the script where it just felt like, it's like, are we going to do this or not? Because I could keep, I tweaked it. Look, I'm quite relentless as a writer and I can turn something around and around and around, but it, it sort of felt just like people were getting nervous about the subject matter and about sort of black anti-heroes and, and sort of, you know, it was even said to me, oh, when we put this through into the next phase, we're just a bit, you know, people might want to see more hopeful depictions of black characters and stuff, which to me, I was sort of just blown away by that because it feels like a form of censorship, even if, even if they don't really realize it. And it, it's wrapped up in a lot of things, which we can get into sometimes where I guess, uh, you know, a filmmaker of color, it's almost like you're having to hold the whole, the entire conversation of race in the one project because they're not getting made often enough especially in this country and and so I, I, and then you know fiona lamptey took over netflix around a similar time and you know, she is a woman of color it didn't it didn't guarantee that she would understand the move you know connect with the movie necessarily but i think the netflix of it and her wanting to do more genre films in general it was a very quick process you know and yes the heavy lifting development had been done but somebody being like in three weeks they read your script you budget you send them a budget and then they're like let's go it's like the dream you're like what so how did you get it to fiona lamptey at netflix how did that how did that process sort of you know come along was it was it just a cold pitch or no because by then we had a really tight script which we all felt like this script is ready to go um, and then look, I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened with the BFI. It might have. Um, but I think 
uh, Tristan Gallagher, uh, one of my producers from the Bureau, uh, sent it to Fiona. And I think it just, you know, it's, sometimes it happens and sometimes the serendipity is that normally it's like, oh, everybody leaves and then new people come in and they're like, we don't like your ideas anymore, you know. <laughs> but well, I was on the other side of that, you know, and it was like, and it was, it happened very quickly. And then I, my producing team, who at this moment in time are the only people I've worked with on my films, uh, Rob Watson, Valentina Brazzini, and Tristan Golliger, who were like, I met them when I did, um, well, Rob produced Clam, my short film. And then I did, I did Daphne with the Bureau quite a few yeah. years ago. Yeah, Emily Beecham. Yeah, it's great film, that. So it's sort of, you know, you meet good people, you want to hold on to them. Because um, mm. as you know, the whole process of making a film is very stressful and you you know i think it's important that you want to go for a drink with with your producers at the end of the day you know yeah well you got to like your team because you're with them for the next sort of you know two three years you know yeah. and you're in the trenches with them really deeply you've got to really? get on it's it's really important um let's let's jump back a little bit then so with the climb and then meeting rob watson or getting rob watson involved and then meeting tristan let's just talk about that because our filmmakers are listening are going yeah great you, you've got a producer on board and they go to netflix how did you get the producer on board how did you make your short so let's talk about your process then in terms of you know you actually did go make Clam, um, talk us through that, why it happened, why it came about, why you wanted to do it. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, well, Clam was originally a kind of one-man show I'd written for theatre. Right. Just a guy sort of in a flat, losing his mind, kind of holding out this, holding an investigation in his local area because his best friend's gone missing. But the more and more stuff he excavates for his investigation, the more and more his flat is transforming into a coffee shop until, you know, his own investigation becomes his, his undoing sort of thing and then somebody said jamie cruz actually at acme um read it and was like oh this you should make this into a short film and creative england are looking for like shorts right now so can you turn this around really quickly and sort of <laughs> and you, you know yeah. truncate it yeah. <laughs> was like, yeah let's go sure. and so it was originally that half hour script and then celine hidad who's now at the mm. irish film board who was at creative england then I went in to meet her and, and we just really connected and she really loved the script. And and then, yeah. And then we somehow, you know, got the budget to make it, which back then was 50 K, which I don't know that people get that now to make shorts. So, no, no, that, yeah, that's, that's a big amount budget. of money. Yeah. It's decent. It's, it's decent. Yeah. yeah. But I, I get why they give that much because you get the right team in then you're not just asking favors from mates or someone you don't know's mate who will come along and gaffer for you or grip for you you're getting proper teams in and they're getting paid and it's a proper yeah setup so therefore you have great resources around you which really help how did that feel making that as a first shot how did you plan it what went through your mind because suddenly you know there's 50k on the table but also you want to prove yourself what what did you do the short i made i made a short film I made two shorts before that that were completely self-funded. Yeah, and talking traffic, ex experiments. right? Yeah, talking traffic. I co-directed, but Slap, but Slap was a first, and, and you know, Slap was like a silent film, and I was like, the first one I want to make is going to be a silent film where only one character talks, right? Uh, who's got who's got verbal diarrhea, which was quite, you know, which we thought was quite funny anyway, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then it was like a sort of Kurosawa esque kind of slap battle what we're all building towards this thing that we think is going to be a knife fight or something and it ends up being a slap battle which we shoot you know like like a kurosawa sort of scene and stuff and i worked with joel fry yeah on that um sh on that short 
And then I sort of, after that, got the bug to like, oh, maybe I could, maybe I could do this. And, uh, and then I was like learning more about lenses and learning more about, um, with Will Thorne, who I co-directed talking traffic with. Yeah. He came on the podcast. We know, I know Will, um, really well. Will's from, an amazing guy. Yeah. Years ago, he made Silent Night, didn't he? His feature, which you were yes. in as well. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So lots of full circles. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Yeah. How did you co-direct? Because um, that, that's an interesting one. Like, you know, how do you split the responsibilities? I think it shows a lot of humility to be able to do it. And, and I suppose you have to really assign roles or what you're comfortable with. It was just, I think Will's just a really kind of uh, malleable guy. And he, um, he's got a really good eye. Uh, and so on the technical side of thing, I think he really comes to that place in a really experienced way. He's, he's directed way more than I had. But I think I've obviously worked more with actors and more with performance and maybe mm. felt a bit more sort of comfortable um, working with the actors. Uh, I, I, but, but again, I'm sure he feels comfortable working with actors. So, but really that was just a sort of experiment. And we wanted to give Nadia Cavell, who is a brilliant writer, we just wanted to make something quickly with her so she had something to go out with um, as well. And then so all those things sort of led to me writing Clam, casting Joel as a lead, and and then... You know how it is when you're doing your first few shorts. You don't really know anything, do you? You're just sort of learning about, <laughs> yeah. and you gotta learn. Gotta learn quick, right? Gotta learn. You're just thrown in. You're like, uh, uh, and they're going, "Where do you want the yeah. shot? Where do you want the camera?" And you're like, mm -hmm. "You tell me." <laughs> yeah, and I this think that for nice. me was just like, yeah, you know, like follow your instinct. Really. Yeah, yeah, I was totally. just like, I'd, I'd seen so many movies. A big Coen Brothers fan, mm. and I just knew that Clam sort of sat in that. Like, I almost felt like Joel was like a John Turturro. Yes. Out of Barton Fink. Yeah, he is. In yeah. fact, he was our ref for that character. Hmm. Um, and, and and then I think the the beat the oh, and so that was BBC Films who came on board that as well as um, Creative England. And they were really candid and blunt and just said, if you do well, then we can talk about a feature. And it was literally as straightforward as that, which really? I appreciated. Wow. Definitely. That's yeah. really it, nice. But then the pressure is 
a little bit on because but at this point you've probably got you've got the bug like you say and you're like yeah mm. i'd really like to do a feature and, and bbc have said if i do well oh my god yeah. the pressure that must have been a little bit on you know it's yeah. there but mm. then i think there's like the, the the best thing about clown was i had joel and and, yeah. uh, and me yeah. and joel yeah. knew who that character was and so you, I, he's in every scene and i'm building it around him it just made it so much so much more easier we had a shorthand Yes. Um, or, yeah. already which was which was great um, yeah. and I wanted to keep an element of that when we moved when I moved on and it's funny because a lot of people said why don't you just make Clam the feature like friends of mine who'd seen it and stuff and I was like keen to go elsewhere because I was like I know I can make a bro movie as my first movie but I don't want to do that yeah I kind of want to challenge myself to do something that 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 is deeply personal but sort of takes me somewhere else so, no, yeah. I, I like that. I like that sort of commitment and and decision. I mean, I think that's one of those kind of you know um, generic film advice that, that everyone says is you've got to do your first movie as a gangster film or a horror or whatever. And it's like if you want to make those films and, and like you've got a great idea and it's personal to you, then then do it for sure. But don't sort of do it out of the sake of it if that's not what you're kind of interesting in. Totally, yeah. I think when my first play was on, I realized because that's a weird thing about you know having a play on at the Young Vic and being a player, it's a very sort of, um, you're really, you're really out there. You're quite exposed and it is very similar to being a filmmaker. You know, you've got all the press writing about your play and sort of, um, taking stuff away from it. And one of the things that was a reoccurring thing when that play was on was where are all the female characters? Yeah. And, but that was about to toxic masculinity and, and male friendship, but it, it did sort of get in my head a bit where I was like, I didn't even know if I could write, um, you know, female characters, at all and then my second play was a family drama based on all the women in my family that come from a big matriarchal family and i just knew i knew how to write them and i was like oh wow these characters are even more interesting than my bro characters <laughs> <laughs> yeah well because you like I say the bro characters you almost go stereotypical some way but here you can now dive into a whole spider's web of intrigue and things they keep secret from you and i think that's fascinating which is what you know obviously comes across in the strays massively and really really interesting um so we're at that point now where clum has done well and bbc films were then at that point and obviously now you've got your producers rob and the clum before the storm you could oh, say nice you could say <laughs> hey, <man. Yeah. laughs> like use, use it clam before it. the storm that's yeah. brilliant yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yo, we went to okay there's another serendipitous piece to this story which i got to throw in was that so we got into south by southwest with clam nice. so we went to austin which which i don't know if you guys have been to austin but i that I think this is the best festival ever. Nice. Um, and then I was also like, wow, look at all this solidarity amongst all the filmmakers. This is the opposite to actors, you know, who <laughs> are always sort of competing. Yes. Um, and, and then, um, but then when we were there, funnily enough, um, Fiona Lanti was there with Remy Weeks's short film, Tickle Monster. Mm, I don't know if you've ever seen that, that short yes, film. I remember so that. He, he, yeah. Really brilliant film. He was in the Midnight Fest. And I remember uh, me and Rob Watson playing pool with, um, against Fiona <laughs> and like, but nice. you know, it was funny how like, you know, whatever, some years later she was running Netflix and I'm not saying it's because she beat me up all that it was all good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but what you're saying uh, there is by being out and about, by you putting yourself yeah. out there, you got Austin Film Festival, turning up, being there, being present, and then meeting Fiona just by chance, playing pool with her. Uh, and then, yeah, when, then you've got a conversation, you've got an in when you, you talk next and it's authentic time. way in as well it's not like yes. it's not like diving in because they're the head of netflix it's like you're yeah, diving exactly. in because yeah, they're cool. it's like, 
<laughs> you've already got into it with them. You know, we, we went for lunch as well. And you've already got into like horror, horror films. And, and in fact, Get Out was dropping at that festival. I don't know if it was in competition, but it was certainly screening in, in the cinemas. And so we were there with Clown. We saw Get Out. And I think, and then when we got back, we were fortunate enough to to win best UK film at Rain Dance, which mm. always helps a bit, doesn't it? I mm. guess winning something, and, yeah. and, and then after that, I guess you know the parents were like, "Okay, let's talk about the future." <laughs> That's ace. That's great. Yeah. At that point, did you had you had the idea for the Strays, or was it just percolating? I, I think I was really. It was something was beginning. I did a BFI network after that, and in, I don't know. Twenty sixteen was like a golden year for film you know it was like get out moonlight american honey um la la land i mean there were so many incredible films that year and i at that festival the whole when we were on bfi network the whole conversation that we were having all these first-time filmmakers was what should your first feature be and i think it was kind of clear that it should be personal and that if you can if you have a interesting genre then that might help as well so i really came away from that network feeling like i want to write a suburban thriller and i want it to be about you know a, a woman i'd heard this story about this woman who'd sort of eloped her family um started again and i was like oh i sort of feel like that's got a bit of a history of violence mm. kind of thing to it and i love that movie and, and that was kind of the beginnings of, of that and, and then what i do is i always like soft pitch my mates the ideas in the pub yeah, and just see if they get bored. Yeah, it's so important because I just go, "Oh, you mean like that film?" Or ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. And it's so important to do that. People are so scared to do it, but actually, pitch to everyone. Pitch, just say because you then uh, perfect your pitch for one thing. For when you do, then go meet Fiona Lamptey or whoever else in a room. You're ready to say what this story is, and you've got your pitch perfected because all oh, your mates will tear it apart easily. Tear it apart. Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. Did you have like the idea of of how the genres would kind of play in the writing stage, or was that more in the sort of pre production phase? Because obviously it, it starts off and it kind of goes into the almost sort of horror territory where she's seeing them in the in the rearview mirrors, and it's like you know it, it could even be like you know is this is this a real or is it a sort of a ghost? It's going into that territory, and then at some point you've got to make this transition where suddenly it's like a very real, completely there in the moment sort of drama. Um, and I wondered whether that was always the plan to sort of, you know, mix those two genres and, you know, transition across. It was always the plan. And I think at a literary stage, that was just like a really cool thing. And then when we're actually making that work, it's like, oh, wow, that's a really big commitment, actually, because everybody is like, okay, this is a horror film. And I think, you know, my, I think why I did it was, is that I wanted to deliberately make the audience feel like these two black characters were objectified and were as sort of, um, you know, like as inhuman as possible to then pull the rug from on the audience's feet and throw them into their vulnerability and all the nuances of their relationship. And then also like, oh, wow, they had discarded children on top of that. Um, and then, and then I guess pull the rug again in the home invasion and be like, be that as it may, they're sort of nuts. You, you know what I mean? And, mm. and then in fact, we did it with the real horror of family and, and, and sort of, is it a home invasion? Is it not? Is it a reunion? Is it an invasion? And, and so, and you know how it is it, when your genre, when it's a genre mash, you're always taking a risk. Mm. Yeah. And that must have been the pushback you got, which is what you said, you know, from all those rewrites with the BBC and BFI. And they're saying, and you didn't 
feel you're like I keep getting pulled away from what I want it to be or maybe it's better certain bits and certain bits aren't and it's a real struggle I think for filmmakers screenwriters at that point when you're constantly being pulled a new producer will come on and go oh, I love this but let's explore that area and you spend ages exploring it and then Absolutely. you know and you go oh, that doesn't work now does it or you and, and keeping the essence of what's true and your vision and it's really hard it's really hard to go no this is we've got to stay on this line but sometimes people want you to do that as well they want you to be in control <laughs> you know such a robustly sort mm. of push back but you know the funny thing about it is and again it's no swipe at the development process but i think i realized having made the movie now that i was actually being asked the wrong questions you know in that development process because yes i had a, a complex divisive character as my lead okay let's just all accept that that's the case and get on board that but i think really the question should have been do you want this to be a full-blown horror or do you want this to be like a psychodrama? And, and just really like, mm. because I think by going like, what movie is this? I think in fact that that would have just been like, all right, well, if it's going to be a full-blown horror, then then the kids are going to have to be dead or something, or we're going to have to lean into some other trope yes. that's going to take us into the supernatural, you know, but if it's not going to be that, then we're going to go segue into the real emotional sort of horror of, of what's happening. And I realized I was like, I was like, never asked that question once in the process um and, and that makes me feel like you got to know that going into making a movie i think you have to know that so so well the movie you're making i think yeah. i think that can be one of the biggest mistakes as well as well and, and it's 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 when you're in it it's very very hard to get out of that situation but when you have a new producer or you know a new sort of team come on board and they start sort of giving notes it's like am i improving in the same direction that the story has always wanted to go or am I sort of flipping off to the left or flipping off to the right to sort of try and please someone? And you've got, you've got to realize that I suppose if you start doing that, but then the person doesn't get the thing made or they didn't, you're actually wasting huge chunks of time. And then you're having to like find your way back to the center again. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a really valuable lesson to to have been through. Yeah, did you take from when, it, when you moved in, Fiona was like, oh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll take this. Did you? then move back to your original idea a little bit did you did that change your thought process well the first question she asked is she's like i want to do it but i want it to be more of a psych horror and that was the first thing she threw in i think we were like oh yeah like nobody's really yeah I get said that to yeah. us ever in three years of making this um in fact yeah and and so and and then i think what that threw up for me was a big question of of like who do we kill at the end of the film and, and, and how bloody and, and extreme does it go? Because I think someone said at the Q&A on Monday, they thought it was almost more like a Greek um, family tragedy. tragedy. Yeah. And yeah. I, I really loved that. I'm like, yeah, I think that's a really accurate that's a really good way of putting it. That's so right. Very Medea, isn't it? It's very Greek tragedy of, you know, mm. not knowing, even though there's a lot less incest. Possibly not. Why don't you um, give us a little picture of what the film is and then we can drop the trailer in yeah. and then we can deep dive oh, cool, into man. it. Yeah, so the, the film essentially is, is about a woman living the perfect life in an English suburb with two perfect children, perfect husband. She's a deputy headmistress at the local school. And um, two mysterious strangers arrive in her town and start to interrupt and dismantle her routine, revealing a shocking secret. Welcome to our home.
isn't it? And you're practically one of us. Practically. Mm. Thank you. Rose. Morning, Miss Williams. Um, are you all right? I'm fine, I'm fine. Mom, look out! talking about someone's coming what is wrong with you tonight there are people out to hurt us out to bring violence against us what kind of messed up game are you playing <laughs> is it true what happened in the past me it's not what you think who are you I'm sure you want to go through with this Run. Run. And run. There we go. Uh, yeah, the, it must it must feel great. Like, you know, you you're hearing that Netflix sound and there's yeah. your trailer, <laughs> yeah. right? It's, Why it's is that a, sound? Why is that yeah. sound so affecting? It really know, is, isn't it? It gets you, what? doesn't it? Because you're waiting. Yeah. You know, you wait. You just—it's been, been, been developed to like some kind of amazing, <laughs> like underground bunker for like yeah. sounds that give people joy or something. Yeah, exactly. Just to right make in. you go. Oh, yeah, who yeah, knows? Yeah. Who knows? But that must have that must have felt that must feel good right now, yeah. knowing you can just go onto Netflix and to go there. It's it is. Oh, yeah, it's your first yeah, I mean, debut even, movie. Oh, I can't tell you how you know what it's like. I mean, just to get to make a movie is like a rite of passage, and so and then and then to get to make it to get to make this sort of movie and then to get to make it with Netflix who have, you know, who have the, the, the branding and, and the, you know, I, I guess the culture where people go, okay, that must be a legit movie. So mm. I'm going to take a punt on that uh, with a movie as weird as ours mm. is. Yeah, you're right. It's like pinch your skin sort of moment, you know, um, excitement and then absolute fear obviously yes obviously <laughs> obviously now it's out there in the world and anyone can yeah. write anything they like about it like we said at the beginning all right so let's talk about you then as a director uh going right how am i gonna do this as a feature did you do shot list did, did you talk with your uh amazing dp uh about how you yeah. were going Incredible. to make it talk us through that yeah really good really amazing question i mean i i think it was at first it's like um I think the central, when I'm writing a script, there's already shots in there. Some of the shots are in there. Mm. So I'm just one of, that's how I like to, it's like, it's a literary document, but it's also stepping towards production a bit. Do you, do you ever get pushback on that? Like, like from, from, from agents or whatever, oh, it's a director's script. It's like, well, no, it's just, it's just describing it. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do get some pushback, don't you? Like stay open, stay open, you know, mm. but I think it's for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm, when I'm writing it, I'm experiencing what the movie is in a really visceral way. And I think that what particular, there's one shot which sort of tracks towards her when she sat at the table with the family and the family are all sort of 
I don't think there's any dialogue. You can't hear it. And it's just all sound design, but the camera just pushes it on her face. And that shot was in the first draft, you know, and it remained all the way to the edit. So, oh, so you wrote camera moves in to the script. So you said we're, we're pushing in on her. Yeah. Here. Oh, wow. Total. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And, and so, and I love, yeah. Cause I don't know. I think that's just, for me, it makes sense. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but just some, every now and again, I just feel like, Oh yeah, that moment is so clear to me. I want to put the shot in because mm. that's part of the storytelling. Um, I, yeah. And then I think we just had to build our references. And I think um, we had funny games. So, you know, rewatching funny games a bunch of times. Yeah, Hannah Kay's movie. Yeah. Which is a, a tough, a tough thing yes. to do. <laughs> a few times in a <laughs> row, then, right? Let's go again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I think, and then me and Adam just, we just developed a, a sort of cinematic, language for the film we also really we watched killing of a sacred deer mm, a, a yep. few times because we love yeah. the fairy tale sort of element to, to that film and then the and then we were really interested in it follows yes. as well yes, yes. Um, and, and i think once we found our references we then you know how it is you're sort of ste you're stealing or you're recycling mm -hmm. from movies that have achieved what you want to achieve and then and then we did shot list but then i just like ran out of time <laughs> Like in pre-production, oh. just completely ran out of time. So we hadn't finished the shot list. We got halfway through. But I tell you what, though, I actually, it made me feel like maybe while shot listing frees you up, I quite like not like walking onto a scene and not having a shot list sometimes. Well, well there's, there's the element of acting, isn't there? Like, because when you, when you shot list stuff very, very, um, very much in advance and then you haven't had the time to do the rehearsals with the actors, the actors might go across the set and say, oh, this doesn't feel natural coming from this tour, you know, can, mm -hmm. I, can I come and sit over here? And then suddenly like you've planned all these shots and there isn't really time to, to redo them. I mean, do, do you mm. tend to try and work around the performances on, on the day rather than sort of adapting the camera or is it more of a balance? It's sort of, it's a, it's a dance for me. And I think, which is why when I'm working with a cinematographer and I'm really feeling he's like, it, all those decisions have been made and, and they want you to fit your performance into it. It's always tricky. And I think it has to be a bit of a dance. And, uh, and because I'm an actor, obviously I may be biased towards my actors. Like I want to, I want to make sure that they feel liberated and, and able to just express themselves. And I think, um, I think the big con conceptual thing me and Adam did though, was that like, we were like the first act, the camera has to be as sort of structured and formalized as her life is. So, so it's all very, you know, constructed on sticks. It's, it's, you know, it's very composed. Uh, and then, and then when we got to the Carl and Dion act, we were playing around. We, we really loved the movie Elephant, you know, the yes, Gosfran Sant movie. Van Sant we were like, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, the kids and the bright colors and, and just, again, I think there was this fairy tale thing of them almost just the, the way they look at each other and just that we go into this weird sort of coming of age chapter. And, we, and, and so there's was, it was a lot of steady cam in, in that, a lot of following people as they're walking. And then, and then also wanting to just really photograph how different the black kids were from the biracial kids and, and their features and stuff. Uh, and, and then in the Cheryl act, we decided that it, she was on trial in that chapter. So she's always in the camera alone and everybody else is always sharing the frame, which people don't really notice. But when you yeah, say it. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm going, oh, yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. You know, and, and then I think at the very end of that chapter, all the family join her in that motif, in that shot. And it's almost like, OK, we transition it into something else. And then the last act, we go full blown handheld. 
um, and the, and it's like the the gear, the wheels come off, and we're just into into chaos. Yeah, basically. I love that, and I love that you thought about all that, and it does make a difference in the film. It really does. Mm. Oh, thank you, man. Adam always used to say, if we make those gear changes too extreme, like it will feel. He would say it's more like a film school film. It would be more like your shiny film school film. Mm-hmm. But if you don't hold your nerve, there is a part of you that's like, shit, can't we just like do something crazy? in each act but I'm glad we sort of held it back because the thing people don't even notice but maybe it's just something they feel yeah it happens it happens very subtly I mean in in terms of the performances as well like making those those transitions because it because also it is a mystery um and it, it definitely does sort of keep you you intrigued was there in terms of the rehearsal was there any sort of thought behind okay I don't want to tell the actors too much or over rehearse some of this stuff because I want it to feel sort of fresh when some of these revelations happen at, at one point I was like oh man can it be can I have it that Sebastian and Mary don't meet Carl and Dion until the first day on set on that scene mm-hmm. but then that just became impossible <laughs> because as you know pre-production and costume fittings and, and all that stuff uh, and it being the first feature i just don't think I, I had enough time to do that but i think what we did was we went deep deep into the origin stories of, of carl and dion and and cheryl uh, and 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 especially justin salinger mm. and ashley medeque's relationship like i made them improvise all of their relationship up until when he asks her to come back to castle Cone you know, Coombe with, with him, which obviously we don't see any of that in, in the movie, but they knew, they sort of had all that sort of legacy story that they could then play around with. And the, and the same with Carl and Dion, I got them to improvise that like, when they were in care and when they were in hostels and, and all these really fraught situations. And, and when they find the newspaper for the first time where they see their mom, who they think is dead mm-hmm. and just playing that scene out. So we just sort of had that as memories. Mm. How much rehearsal time did you get with them because with your actors? Because you said you ran out of time in terms of your prep, a little bit of your prep. But in terms of rehearsal, because rehearsal is really important. And, you know, you coming from the theatre and acting background, I imagine mm. you're like, we have to rehearse this. Did you yeah. obviously, and it's often not put into any budgets <laughs> at all, ever. Rehearsal time just ever. often is never in there. And you've got to ask mm. for it uh, and do it early yeah. so that people actually budget it in. But how did you yeah, manage so to... True get away with that how did you say no no i need rehearsal give me it please i do you know what i just really pushed for it i think i ended up getting I mean, look man i got two days rehearsal but you know how it is it was like Oof, two days rehearsal in a costume month fitting. Yeah, costume yeah, fitting that, yeah. and all that madness you know and also people want to ask you 101 questions while you're on a on a break between always that's that's basically your job as a director isn't it it's like you're answering questions that's the job as a director know this now everyone (laughs) you just you answer questions you have to know answers even if you don't know make them up but you have to give an answer yeah you have to yeah Yeah. and and it's it's, it's so interesting and it's kind of like um i think it's just people you know a lot of directors say oh we don't we don't do rehearsal because we want to keep it fresh but i think my take on that is just you just want to make sure that everybody's really familiar with what the story is because you, what you don't want is people people rocking up and not having a grasp on the story because then you've just not not even gotten to the deeper layers of, of what it is you're doing and but then when i'm on set i'm very loose about the scenes in terms of obviously you say the lines but i, I never really say there's one version i like to go into the edit with three different versions of a performance really and then find it 
find it in the edit. Because I, as an actor, I know, I sort of feel like when somebody is sort of giving me less notes and just making me go again and again, and every now and again coming in and giving me a pointer, I always find things because I'm, I just feel really confident and liberated. And so things happen um, rather than burdening an actor with just like loads of notes. So would, would you say when you're sort of doing rehearsals, especially that you're, you're more like asking questions about the material and the, sort of the backstory, et cetera, rather than saying, can we try it this way or can we try it this way? Um, exactly. Just to sort of free up the exactly. actors. Is, is that kind of the, yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's all of that. And it's, yeah, it's, and in a way it's like, let's improvise away from the text so we can sort of get into the characters without the pressure of getting stuck in a rhythm, you know, for, for the scenes. And then, and then I can just sort of download everything I'm thinking about the movie and what I sort of want it to be so that they know what movie they're in. Because sometimes, you know, you might work with, I've been in things where an actor turns up and it's like, now you're in a different show, mate. Mm, this is not that yeah. show. And it's not that what you're doing isn't good. It's just that you know, yeah. it's much bigger it or much fit. more. Yeah. You know? Mm. And so, and also a big part of it is casting. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Cause I, when I cast them, I, you know, you're, as you guys know, you're sort of casting souls. And so I felt like I had within that ensemble, I was like, they're all the right, they've all got the right sort of spirit for this, for this movie. Talking about cast then, because you, you know, I loved your cast. I think it's fantastic. Mm. Uh, some amazing people in here. Um, friend of the podcast, Vanessa Bailey, also turns up as well, which is really lovely. Um, oh, but, right, Bucky, cool. uh, but Bucky Bakari, obviously yeah. incredible. We could go through your whole list, to be honest. But uh, actually, Dequa um, and Justin Salinger. Was there any pushback on any of these? actors from netflix in any way i mean you might not be able to say too much but w was there any kind of we need a big name was there any of that talk because they're all fantastic actors but um we know who they are but not necessarily everyone else does yeah i, I think look you know to be completely transparent obviously at the beginning of the process you're thinking about the biggest name you can get for the role and and then i think what's great about the process is you whittle that process down until somebody just really surprises you with a read. And I think with, with Ashley, because I knew Ashley, but she was younger than the how I'd envisaged the character because the character was originally late 40s. And so when she was first suggested to me, I was like, well, she's an incredible actress, but she's too young for the character. And then whilst I was doing recalls with, with actresses um, on Zoom, actually, because we because we shot the film in the pandemic, of course, as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Outside, her tape had just come in, and I remember sort of finishing that session, all the producers being huddled around this big Apple sort of TV screen, and we all just watched the tape, and we were like, "Oh my god, this is this is a character," wow. you know. And and then so we called up Shaheen Beg in a bit of a panic because we were like, "That's a director, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's ten years too young." So. What is that? What can we do about that? Mm. And then she's like, just let's just bring all the kids' ages down. Let's just bring them all down, huh? you know, and find new raw actors. And so then that that became quite exciting actually, because I was like, oh, well, them being younger, maybe it's just a bit more twisted as well. The whole thing it just feels a bit more, you know. Yeah, it worked for me that that whole that age group worked absolutely brilliantly because it's right on the edge of teenagers becoming adults, and at that point they can go off the rails. They can do anything if they're not. You know, yeah, it definitely it just, had more menace, actually, I think. Yeah, had the menace, no, that parental sort of this is, you know, and that really worked for me because it was like they could do anything and that, that was fascinating. Yeah. yeah, and hopefully, I mean, I don't know in terms of spoilers or what we can and can't say, but like by the 
by the end, like you say, they're still in that journey, the four of them. Yes. And then sort of bonded, bonded by trauma in their own way. It's like, there's like you say, there's still development to go. Like who do they then go on to become? Yeah. Yeah. So for basically Netflix were really supportive basically and said, yeah, yeah, they didn't, they didn't. Yeah. They never said once you have to cast this one person, um, ever. I, I mean, it's sort of like, I think the good thing about working with, and I don't know if the culture's changed now because you know how these things go. They, mm-hmm. You know, the date, the, the data comes in and yeah. maybe they're like, everybody on every film has to be part of the Netflix universe. So can we get so-and-so from stranger things to be the lead in this and stuff? But I, we were just, no, we were completely left to our, um, you know, they were heavily involved, but they were also like, okay, we trust in your instincts. Um, uh, and even the last two, I think Netflix was sort of leaning towards one way and I was sort of leaning another way. And then I think it's in the edit when you're like, okay, yeah, we're making a, we're working with Netflix. If that makes oh, any right. sense. <laughs> oh yes. Now that makes a bit more sense. There were a little bit now more. They're like, very involved. Yeah. Very, very, oh really? Okay. Much, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah and I was like, oh yeah, the studio's involved, but in a good way, I think it's like, because you have to make a movie that's going to play on the, on the service as, as well as cinema. Cause obviously we're really passionate about cinema, but you have to, that's what the brief is. So, so what were maybe some of the, the notes or, or areas that Netflix were interested in either sort of slightly tweaking or changing the storyline, maybe in sort of the editing or what you shot? I think it's like pickups, obviously sort of getting new material to kind of help make the story clearer. I think what we really realized in the test screeners that we did which, which are really tough because it's an unfinished movie and people are just filling out forms, don't, didn't like this, that was all right, you know, and all that stuff, is that I think that character without, without that prologue and knowing who she, she was before she leaves um, is just really difficult to get into. So we had a cut of the movie where you don't see Cheryl at the beginning and it was just, it, yeah, pe- people just couldn't get down with her. They just had a real, you know, and so once we, you know, and then they were great. They were like, well, what do you have any ideas as to how we can get into that character quicker um, and get the audience on side? And so it was a mixture of shooting some new, new material and then also maybe scaling back. I think there was more, there were a few more controversial sort of um, internalized um, r- r- racist moments that I think were just a bit, I, I just think we had to just find find the modulation on how we reveal that about her in more of a subtle way rather than, yeah, there were just a few scenes where I think it was like, we just really hate the character now. So let's just scale back. Yeah. And we do have to like her. We have to, even though what she might have done and we're putting that as a might, you need to go watch this film anyway. Uh, so that really helped us to sort of go, we just want to know what's going on, whether we like her or not, we're on her journey. And that was fascinating. You mentioned there about the race angle. Um, and I think it's a really important topic. And the fact that you've tackled this, and it's something you said at the beginning as well, How, like you say, you, you, and I think, anything of this tone is always going, there's always going to be a bit of backlash. There's always going to be a bit of, yeah, but why not push that hard on why are you making um, black people look a certain way? But you said, no, no, I wanted to tell a story. Could you just talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Well, I think even like um, the, the plays I, I had produced, I think I was always using satirical, um, you know, kind of devices to explore 
the black experience. And I think mm. with this movie, it was the same. I think I just wanted to, I mean, the fact that it's a thriller mm -hmm. for me, even as a genre match, but the fact that it's a thriller to me feels like the most, the, the thing I'm most satisfied about because in fact, the movie is really dealing with some really kind of serious issues, but it's yep. in the format of a, of a genre piece. And I think, you know, you don't often get that blend when it's, when it's to do with race. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. Jordan Peele has exploded that open in an incredible way. Yes. Um, but I think for me, even with Klam, it's a thing I've always been interested in. I, yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess, you know, there's always going to be a risk because if I had made a social realist film that was like secret secrets and lies part two, then I think maybe people would just be much more, Look, look, some people really celebrate what it is. So I'm not, I can't say that, but I think for some people mm. and oftentimes surprisingly, it, it might even be the more liberal, you know, the sort of more liberal space where you think it would actually be the opposite way around are sort of sometimes take issue. I think with, with sort of, Oh, that's not explained. Or why don't we get more of this? Or, you know, some of the things that character does or the fact yeah. that the two antagonists are dark skinned. Mm-hmm. You know, um, where, and, and for me, I'm like, if you want to reduce my characters in that way, I can't even really have a conversation with you because, you know, I know those two, I know Jordan and Bookie loved playing those characters. We're like, yes, they feel like anti hit. We feel like we're in a sort of thriller and we never really get to play those roles in this sort of story. So I don't know. It's complicated. It is complicated. But it's brilliant. I'd love to talk about uh, this little birdie told me uh, that you shot one of your scenes. And I think it's, if I'm right, it's uh, the family reunion scene. And you kind of did it in one shot, even though the end result is not in one shot. But you shot it all in one shot. But you kind of closed the set down for a day or two. Is this correct? And if so, tell us how you managed to pull yes. this off. <laughs> well, obviously, I was like all right, the home invasion sequence is a play. You know, I want it to become a piece of theater. And that was always the conception behind it. And I was like, someone I want to need some rehearsal guys, you know, and then that rehearsal started at, at one point it was like three days. We were actually going to stand down filming and rehearse it for three days. Okay. Then, it, then it was two days. <laughs> and then it was half, went, you've got, you've got yeah. half an hour. <laughs> no, no, surely. So no, it was like half, half a day. Then it became oh, half okay, a yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. Which was insane, really, because not really a rehearsal. But, but what was cool about that was that there was no cameras in the room. Maybe it was yes. a day. I can't remember. Yeah. And we came in and we sort of had our scripts, set out some tables. I said to all the cast, I was like, look, seriously, you know, I'm, I'm like, there's no way, there's no, how can I put it? There's no diplomacy. There's diplomacy in a lot of things, but what there isn't diplomacy in is like, you have to come off book. You have to know that home invasion sequence. You have to know it like the back of your hand, wake up in the middle of the night and you could do it because we, we're going to shoot it in real time. And, and there's going to be water filling up, you wow. know, in, 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 wow. in that scene and credit to them. They all came and they knew it like the back of their hand. And then, and then what we decided to do was that every, every take, in that scene is is like an 18 19 minute take and so that was the that was the rule that that it was just like we wouldn't we wouldn't chop it up and, and i think it was a, even if something went wrong you were like no no just keep going through it no we had to start again if something oh, went if wrong, something went wrong really oh wow yeah we had to go back <laughs> with, to the beginning with all that water you'd have to drain it all out you'd have to go again saying that so, so in the masters we yes. have to go again. But when right. we were doing okay. single, when we were doing the 18 minute singles, we were, 
we could sort of have a bit more license. Yeah, yeah, I got, yeah. yeah. There, there were there were moments where you could like I, I felt like the sound was really leading some of the water sort of treading moments and i was like have you have you given yourself a bit of a safety net uh there because like shooting you know the, the consistency would have been a nightmare to have done every single shot with the water in totally yeah we, we did a few passes without the water and then i just think because they had the rest of the movie under their belts by then they sort of really knew who the characters were and then we would just i, I gotta say it was the most satisfying part of the shoot you know, and it made me think, I was like, maybe I'll just do the next movie all handheld in one location. <laughs> uh, on one shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but sure. Yeah. Nine minutes. You can do it. Yeah. But, but we knew we were going funny. I think what's exciting for me is that I know not everybody has seen funny games, but I knew what that rep was for me. And it felt really exciting that we were sort of in conversation with that movie, but, but sort of recycling that, which feels like, a progression of cinema in terms of just where we're at in 2023 that someone is now recycling funny games mm. if that makes any sense it does you know it does and and yeah and that scene is incredible you can feel the the, the tension, tension the yeah. build up <laughs> yeah. the whole it, you just literally going oh my god oh my god oh my god and it just builds and builds and builds it's amazing and and, and oh, my missus it? my missus was literally like someone please turn the t- someone please turn the yeah. water off <laughs> someone please <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what have you learned that you're going to take forward into your next film as a director? Yes. Well, I think I'm really excited about, well, I think A, like really, really, I think the main thing is I know that the next movie I'm going to make, it's not going to be a genre mash, so it's going to, how it presents itself is what it's going to be. But I think I've learned that the, the period of time you take really thinking about the movie you want to make, I think you have to really, really, really think about that because, you know, in, in an edit, you really learn about what screenwriting is. And I think, mm-hmm. so it's just really changed my idea about how I'm going to write this next movie. And then I think the big thing is just, I'm really excited about going full blown into horror n- next time. And I think that's just a really, I'm just excited about that because I think, you know, I didn't really like, I like horror, but I didn't really realize how much I liked it until, until recently, mm. you know, so, yeah, so I think that's a you. big thing. Really. Yeah. It can, it can sneak up, right? Yeah, it can. Yeah, it really can. Same with me. And if there's, if there's one bit of advice you could give your younger self, maybe when you were struggling to get films made or you th- thought it wasn't going to happen, um, you know, or someone else starting out, what, what that, might that be? I think maybe, maybe going smaller at the beginning with the vision of what you want to do sort of um not, you can still go to extremities right in a in a sort of smaller context so maybe kind of trying to, like like ben wheatley you know i think is a perfect example of that like like starting small but still going big with with the themes and, and i think also just you know i think you've got to write if you're serious about being a screenwriter i think you've got to as much as you can be you've got to write as much as possible and so i, I probably looking back at my younger self i i think i probably would have just started a bit sooner and just started sort of writing writing movies uh, a bit sooner even if it's not to be made <laughs> even if it's not to be made yeah, yeah it, exactly yeah. and i and i do think there's something about the, the sort of community of of movies and filmmakers that's just really special um and so i think you just want to put yourself into that space right as much as possible um yes. which yes. for me is just always being at the bfi 
basically. Right, right. I like that. I like that. That's one of the reasons we do yeah. this pod. You know, we get to meet filmmakers all the time, and it's it's so mm. nice. And we then when we go to events or um, film festivals, it's so nice to then reconnect and talk, yeah. and we all share the same stories. And there's, like you said, it's different in the acting world a little bit. There's a little bit more. Oh, we got that job. Whereas here, we're all like, no, let's all support each other, and it's it's actually really lovely community. Absolutely, yeah. man. It's I really just been amazing talking to you both. Like, thanks, like, for having me on. Oh, seriously, absolute yeah. pleasure. Uh, the Straight is out now everywhere worldwide on Netflix. Go watch it. Do not now. stray away from it. Nice. Watch it. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. So join us on Friday when we chat with Saint Sadiq and his film Joyland. And then on Tuesday, we are back uh, with Eddie Sternberg. So look forward to that. It's going to be brilliant. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, And go out there and make your films. Make it happen. You can write your film. You can get it to the right people and work hard and it will happen. Uh, Nathaniel Martello-White, thank you so much for joining us, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Real pleasure. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Have an awesome day, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. And you guys. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.